0: Welcome. You are listening to the Financial Compass Podcast, presented by the Bullman Wealth Group. These shows are designed to provide information to both pre- and post-retirees, so they may be able to make more informed decisions about their financial future. Our Financial Compass process goes beyond traditional, holistic financial planning. We care as much about you and your lifestyle as we do about your plan. At the Bullman Wealth Group, we want to help you define what matters most and inspire you to go and do it. Your host is Bullman Wealth Group financial advisor, Scott Vallon, who for more than a decade has provided financial leadership for those he serves.
1: Hello there. My name is Scott Vallon, and you are listening to the Your Financial Compass podcast. Uh, I am a financial advisor out in Roseville, California, and I appreciate you tuning in, especially if you've been listening over the course of doing these podcasts. We started doing them back in 2022, and if, if this is your first time hearing this, each episode we're looking to, to go into a couple different topics, or either one or multiple topics, and doing a little bit of a dive into them, just to give uh, some information that might be pertinent to your situation. And the two things that I wanted to talk about today, one, is what is the difference between wealth preservation and income generation, especially for folks that are nearing retirement or are in retirement and walking through what those things mean and the other just came to mind recently i get this question a lot is how much should i have in cash how much is too much and some folks listening might be say, hey i wish i had that problem but there's other other folks listening like yeah i've, I've got a lot of money in just sitting in dormant cash you know what what is what is a good rule of thumb and we're going to walk through some of those ideas and see what might make sense If you've been listening, feel free to leave a review. And also, if anything comes up that you hear today and you want to talk about further, you can reach out to our office at ask at bullmanwealth.com. That's A-S-K at B-U-L-M-A-N wealth.com. But like I said, the first portion that I wanted to talk about is the differences between wealth preservation and income generation uh, once you're in retirement. Because think about it. During your working years, a lot of us are putting money into 401ks, 403bs, 457s, IRAs, investment accounts, all these different things. Those are obviously the accumulation years. We're putting money aside because we're going to reach a point. Think of it this way we're like, we're, uh, if we can imagine a hill, we're going up the hill, building this hill of money. And the plan is to, once we get to the top, start sliding down it peacefully into retirement? How do we make that uh, money uh, put to work? And when we think about the economy and financial situations, there's a lot of things out of our control. You know, the government spending, the stock market, there's, there's inflation, there's just a lot of things, tax rates, that we can't control. There are a couple things, though, I would argue key things that we can control when we think of this retirement puzzle. And, and one is the wealth preservation. So say we are in retirement. This might be you. Maybe you're right there. You're already a, a couple months, a couple years into retirement. We can control our wealth preservation and then also income generation of where is that money coming from. But it's a lot more complex than it sounds. It's just not a matter of, hey, you know, this is what I have and it's all going to work. It's It comes back to how do I make that money last? Because I don't have the actual stats, but you hear it year in and year out. The number one fear of retirees is generally outliving their money. It's not dying. It's outliving their money. And so it's easier said than done to put these things together. And like we said earlier, during your working career, you're maximizing what you're saving into accounts and you're also probably maximizing your income as you're trying to build up these things. And then once you get into retirement though, it's about preservation and structuring your income so that it can last because that's the point of, uh, and a way to start to alleviate some of those fears of, well, gosh, I'm afraid of outliving my money. Well, how can we set it up so we alleviate that fear? And I've done podcasts in the past about, about an income plan and those investments that we've been putting into during our working years, well, eventually, you know, the, that wealth becomes the source of the income, and it's it's really where it starts to, you know, answer that question: Why did I put all this money aside? I met uh, with someone recently, and their daughter was just getting into the working field, and you know, the mom wanted to know of, of how much should they be putting into the the daughter's investment account through her work? She had a four hundred three b and you know, when you're young, as much as you can. And it might not make sense now, but it will down, down the road. But we're talking today to the folks that are on the other side of that coin as you get into retirement. And one thing, you know, a, a takeaway I'd say is don't, in retirement, start picking away at your savings. And savings, I, I don't mean the money that we have set up in, in our 401k or IRA. That's the money we are pulling from to live off our investment accounts. So I'm talking about what I would call like an emergency account savings, the rainy day fund. And, and this goes along with somewhat what I'm going to talk about later in terms of how much is too much in cash. But we don't want to make it a habit of getting to that point in retirement and just start pulling from that savings, especially if you don't need it, because there will be a time when we need it. When the AC goes out, we're heading in summer, especially out here in Roseville in the Sacramento area it gets really hot. Uh, AC goes out, tires go out. We need roof. Uh, fixes to the roof, those are generally the areas that where that savings comes into play. So you don't want to start chipping away at that just to make up some differences during you know just every day-to-day expenses, or oh, I've been eating out more, I'm going to pull for my savings. Well, it comes back to having an income plan, and again, it comes back to the control aspect. A lot of us like control, me included, and there's varying levels of that, but when, you know, as I said a few minutes ago, during our working years, we want to get as much money as we can as we're building this up. But we get into retirement, that's where we can start, within reason, controlling how much income we're getting and how much we need. So think of it like this. We get to uh, retirement and we budget it out. We need 5000 a month. Well, 2300 might come from Social Security. Well, then we need to make up the gap From there, where's the other $2,700 coming from? And that's where we can start structure of what accounts does it come from? Is it coming from a regular investment account? Is it coming from an IRA? Maybe further down the road, Roth IRAs. But where I'm going with this is we do our budget to find out how much do we need. Okay, maybe we need $5,000 a month just to keep the lights on and maintain our lifestyle. But part of having an income plan is maybe for the next 10 years, we want an extra 10000 a year for travel, or we're saving up for a car. But I get this question a lot is, that, well, how much can I get when it comes to income? I want to build a plan to see how much I can get. And that's where the question comes back to need versus greed. I know it sounds dramatic, but if someone needs $5,000 a month to live comfortably, I would ask them, why do you think you would want 9000 And that's where it comes back to that question of like, well, how much can I get? I ask, how much do you need to live comfortably? Because it comes back to the element of controlling it. If I can control the amount coming in, I can also start to have a hand in controlling how much I'm paying in taxes, especially if we're pulling money from, say, an IRA or a 401k. We know all of that is taxed as regular income, so we can really have a hand in pulling just what we need. And, you know, there might be times where we need more leading into the holidays or a trip. But I would question motives of why I want to get as much as I can. Because if we need $5,000, we are taking out 9000 <laughs> Sometimes we might get into the situation where we just start spending the extra just because we feel like we have to. And then that's where we start running into the problems of, uh-oh, I'm running out of money as the years go on. So that's really where that control comes in of, be deliberate about how much we're getting. Sometimes it even comes into the structure of um, investments. Things like dividend-paying stocks, bonds, annuities. You can use annuities to take a certain amount of money, set it up, and then at a future date create a pension. You know, not as many folks, it seems, at least when we're talking to folks, have pensions. That you know, it's not as com- doesn't seem as common to me. And there are ways to create that pension. But sometimes, like I said, it's just a simple matter of structuring um, what investments we might have, or sh- internal structure of our investments to make sure we're getting a certain amount of income. And then as we look at these things, you know, that's just from the income aspect. What if we're looking to grow our nest egg for the future of, you know, we want to build this nest egg because we want to, ma- you know, we, we don't want to just plan for the next 10 years, we want to plan for the next 30 So sometimes it's a matter of sitting down to have a better understanding of how your investments or your portfolio is set up. What is your risk tolerance? You can't have your cake and eat it too, meaning I want 10% returns, but I don't want to take any risk. That's probably unlikely. So having a realistic expectation is always nice because we want accounts to grow and we want them to last for the future. But we also don't want to put ourselves in a uh, situation where we're up at night. Like 2022, when the market was exceptionally volatile, I'm sure there's people up at night really concerned because maybe their risk tolerance or their portfolio wasn't in alignment with their comfort level. Another thing that comes to mind in these situations is uh, legacy. Legacy planning of, um, you know, there's never a right or wrong answer with this. There's some people out there that want to spend every dime and there's some people that want to leave as much to their, their loved ones or the kids as they can. And that's where that legacy planning or estate planning strategy comes into place of you know charitable giving, estate planning strategies that can ease a tax burden, say Roth conversions. I know I've talked about these in the past. So I won't go too far into it today, but there are ways to set it up where we pay some of the taxes now and we can pass it on to beneficiaries tax-free, but it all just comes back to, I think, having a full understanding of what it is you're looking for in retirement, and that could be a few things. You know, just to kind of recap, one is what do we need to live off? Where are we making, if we have a certain amount of money we're looking for on a monthly basis to live off, I would argue don't take more than that unless you have to, unless there's a reason for it. If you need 5,000, then why you know why would you structure your investments to take out nine thousand a month? You're just going to pay more in taxes. Uh, you're just going to chip away at your nest egg quicker, and it you could argue it's going to jeopardize the long term sustainability of your investments. So really get an idea of what you need once you reach that point because <laughs> budgeting's not fun. No one really likes doing it, but it really shines a light on things when we sit down and see. Uh, what we're spending and where we're spending on a monthly basis. So find out what is that amount and, and build towards that. And then the rest kind of falls in alignment in terms of, you know, how much, you know, what kind of gains do we want on our investments? What kind of risk do we need to take to do it? And that's where I go back to, okay, you know, are we trying to build our nest egg? Are we trying to just keep it in place and preserve it and pull from as needed? Well, then maybe we need to rein in Uh, Or rope in the risk tolerance of the portfolio. And then finally, you know, if you haven't got a trust or you haven't given thought about, you know, how it's passing on to the next generation, sit down and do that. You know, a trust can can bring a lot of important things to the situation. Several podcasts ago, I did one on trust if you want to check that out. But it's just, you know, have things Set up so when you're not around, it's going to pass on the proper way. And and if this is something that you thought about, you're intimidated, you can always reach out. I mentioned that email earlier. If you want to talk further, ask at bullmanwealth.com, Ask at b u l m a n wealth.com. So then that leads into the second thing that I wanted to touch on briefly. And that's a question, Just I get it a lot, and I'm seeing it a lot more lately, of cash. How much cash should I have? How much cash might be too much cash in, say, a checking savings account? So I'll start off with this. Um, There was a study done uh, in 2022 by the Personal Capital Wealth and Wellness Index, and according to their survey, 51% of Americans say that $100,000 in cash savings is the right amount to be financially wealthy. $100,000, that's the consensus on just over half of the folks that were surveyed here in the United States. They think to be fin- considered financially wealthy, you need at least $100,000 in cash savings. And I would raise my hand and say, you know, time out. That may or may not be the case. Obviously, it all depends on the situation. Let's flesh that out a bit, just in terms of, you know, what might be some rules of thumb to consider for cash. And I've seen things over the years, three to six months, um, say like I'm 42, say someone in my age range or even, I mean, really any age, especially as you get older, uh, you maybe you've got a family, what have you, or in your retirement. Generally, especially in your working years, a rule of thumb that I've seen that's that has some merit is up to six months of living expenses in cash savings. So that might be if you're, you know, since I used $5,000 earlier for the other examples, if we need $5,000 a month, then you would want in this instance, this rule of thumb: at least thirty thousand dollars in liquid cash. If something happened to you, maybe you lost a job, maybe your hours get cut, maybe you became disabled. Um, you know, <laughs> there's always the inflationary aspect. But you know, if, if our budget was seven thousand a month, well, then you'd want to consider having around forty-two thousand. Sometimes there'll be folks with a lot less than that. They might have enough to, to last them one month. And that's where you could come in and argue you might want to build that up a little bit more. Flip side, though, is kind of where I'm going with this, is you could also argue that at some points you have too much in cash and things might get a little bit, you know, flabby. Bank accounts are now paying more than they were in the past. So there is some, you know, you can get some earnings on it. But another thing to consider is. Okay, if you have, say, just let's throw out a hypothetical. Someone has $150,000 in cash. Well, in some regards, they might have a chunk of that money mapped out for a purchase in the next one to two years. We see that a lot. Someone might be moving, maybe they sold a property and they plan to buy another one anywhere in the next six months to two years. In that instance, you could say, hey, leave it there. You don't put it in jeopardy because you have a reason for it. You're going to be using that money for another purchase, a down payment on a home, what have you. Maybe you're saving up to buy a vehicle and you just want to buy it outright. So you're going to have extra money sitting in cash for that. If there's a specific reason for it, then you could say then that's a great reason to be having that much extra money in cash because you can direct it towards something and there's an ultimate goal for it. But if you're just... If someone's just tossing money into a bank account because they might be afraid of the market or a number of other things, well, then it's a matter of when do you need that money? Uh, In the example I just gave, they want it in the next six months to two years. Well, if you're just throwing flip side of that, if you have cash and there's not a real need for it and you've already saved up enough to cover, say, six months of expenses, well, then it's a matter of efficiency because you, know, you consider saving that money and something that could potentially earn more than the bank account. You, know, you come into what's called opportunity cost. If the bank's paying 3% and you could potentially earn more than that, let's just throw out a number, say 6%, 7% by investing it, well, then you just do the math. Uh, so sometimes it comes down to a need aspect. But um, I always like the, the phrase of efficiency and, and is this money working for us? Talked to a guy recently. He's like, my money's lazy. It's not doing anything for me. So I'm really wanting to start looking into options. And that's one regard. And some people will say, well, I just like to have 100000 because that helps me sleep at night. Well, hey, th- there's the emotional aspect of it. It makes you more comfortable. You know, you can always toss that into the argument. Is it being as efficient as it can be? Well, maybe not, but rule of thumb, six months of, of, uh, expenses saved up in cash. Uh, some folks will say three to six months, you know, look at your situation, but once you start getting more than that, if you have a year or more of expenses saved up, mm, well, maybe it comes back to the question, how much is too much? Maybe that's too much. So again, another question, uh, or if this brings to mind things that you want to talk about further, you can certainly reach out at ask at bullmanwealth.com. But uh, that has us right at the 20-minute mark. I, as always, appreciate you listening. Always feel free to leave a review. And until next time, we will see you. Uh, My name is Scott Balan, and this is the Your Financial Compass Podcast.
0: Bowman Wealth is an investment advisor registered under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. Registration as an investment advisor does not imply any level of skill or training. The oral and written communications of an advisor provides you with information where you can determine to hire or retain an advisor. For more information, please visit advisorinfo.sec.gov and search for our firm name. This presentation has been provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal or investment advice or a recommendation of any particular security or strategy. Any statements or opinions expressed should in no way be construed or interpreted as a solicitation to sell or offer to sell advisory services to any residents of any state other than the states where otherwise legally permitted. Advisory services are offered through Chris Bowman Inc., DBA, Bowman Wealth Group, and Retirement Wealth Advisors, RWA, registered investment advisors. Insurance products and services are offered and sold through Chris Bowman Inc., DBA, VWG Insurance Agency.